time here at Epiphany. We want to say welcome. We're just so glad that you're here, that you decided to join us. So let's give our first time visitors another hand. We're just so grateful that they're here. Listen, we, we know it's difficult and strange to walk into a new place you've never been before and you don't know anybody and you don't really know which way to go and how to get in and all that kind of stuff. And, and so we're just grateful to the Lord for your step of courage uh, this morning and coming into a place that's unfamiliar to you. And so we're just thankful to Jesus. And uh, if there's anything we can do to make your stay here better, just don't hesitate to let one of our hospitality members know uh, and they'll take care of you. So. We're in this new series called Joyful, and uh, we've been walking through the book of Philippians. Amen? Uh, so last week we gave you a full survey of Philippians chapter 1, and so this week we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. So this is a survey. Joyful, this is not me being creative and adding an L to the end of joyful. This is actually two words, because we want you to be joyful. Amen? Full of it. There you go. Jaquan gets it. He knows what's going on. We want you to be full of joy, which will lead to a generous and content life. See, the problem in our culture is that we're discontent with everything. Like, we're waiting on iPhone 11.5 right now. 11 just came out. We're waiting for it. Somebody's saying, mm, because they got Samsung. I know it. I I knew what that mm was for, because you got Samsung. I know Come on and give your life to Jesus. It'll be okay. I'm, I'm playing. I'm, I'm just joking. It's, I'm never coming back to this church ever again. <laughs> so listen, we we're, we just want people to be content uh, with their lives because contentment is the source of joy. And so if we can be content with what God has given to us, to what God has placed in our hand and placed in our lives, then we will find ourselves in very different circumstances and predicaments uh, and we'll be able to navigate through them because we're content with what God has given us. And so we're going to trek through that today and um, we'll we'll look at that in Philippians chapter 2. Y'all ready? You sure? All right, all right, let's do it, let's do it. Father, thank you. God, I pray, Lord, that these, your words, Father, would speak to your people. God, I pray, Lord, that heaven would echo into their hearts. And, Father, I pray, God, that when the words are spoken today, these words of life, God, you call the scriptures to give us life. And so, Father, I pray that when these words of life enter into the ears of the listeners, Father, I pray, God, that they might respond by saying, Lord, help us to obey. God, and if it's anyone under the sound of my voice after hearing these words that does not know you, God, I pray that they would cry out, what must I do to be saved? And so, Father, I pray, God, in that same spirit that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak through my mouth and let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, and whom I place all of my trust. And the whole church said, Amen. S.I. McMillan, in his book, None of These Diseases, tells a story of a young woman who wanted to go to college. But her heart sank when she read the question on the application blank that asked, Are you a leader? Now, being both honest and conscientious, she wrote no and returned her application expecting the worst. But to her surprise, she received a letter from the college and it said, dear applicant, 
A study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 leaders. We are accepting you because we feel that it is imperative for us to have at least one follower. And so this is what I want to submit to you today. If you're going to be joyful, then you must be able to follow the example. If you are going to be joyful today, then you must be able to follow the example. And here's the example that I want you to follow. Christ's example. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes here, he says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Having the same love united in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. Here's what he says in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Adapt this same attitude or mind that was in Christ Jesus. So Paul is here. He is now looking at what is known as the byproducts of joy. He closed the first chapter by encouraging us to live as citizens of heaven. And now he is going on to give us several examples of how to live as citizens of heaven with joy. These byproducts that he lays out are things like encouragement. We all need some encouragement from time to time. Amen. Fellowship. We all long to be in fellowship with other brothers and sisters. Affection. We need somebody to care about our situation. Amen, lights and walls. We need somebody to care about our situation. Mercy is another byproduct that he talks about. These things come from the internal part of a person. Affection and mercy are both words used to describe something that happens in your bowels. That's something that happens deep on the inside of you. And being joyful is something that is on the innermost part of you. See, that's why you can get into circumstances and situations and still have a sense of joy because it has nothing to do with what's going on on the exterior of your life or what's happening externally. Joy is something that happens on the innermost part of your life. And so it's just like Iron Man, right? Y'all saw Avengers and all that stuff like that. Y'all know Iron Man, he has that core right there in his chest. Now, that core is interesting because the core keeps Iron Man alive. It's his heart. It keeps him alive. It's also interesting because it is the thing that enables him to have power and utilize all the different and various weapons that are attached to his suit and be able to call the suit and bring the suit to him. It is that inner core that allows him to do that. So here's what I want to submit to you is joy is the factor that propels you into action for the sake of the gospel. But joy is also the inner thing, the part, the thing that is on the innermost part of you that keeps you alive. See, we find ourselves in challenges and situations and difficulties, and oftentimes we could be even facing death and adversity, but the thing that keeps you going, the thing that keeps you moving, is that you have something on the inside of you that is keeping you ticking, and it is called joy. 
See, we, we've got to understand, like, this is what keeps us. This is what allows us to continue to go forward. It keeps us alive. And the reality is, is that so many believers in Jesus appear as if they are dying is because they do not have any joy on the inside of them. See, the reason why you can find Christians walking around looking miserable, like somebody stole a puppy, not the puppy, is because they don't have any joy. The innermost part of them is not connected to the source of life, which is Jesus Christ. See, listen, joy is like the core, and what we have to understand is that if we are going to move forward, and if we are going to walk in what Paul is saying, he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of spirit, any affection and mercy, he says this, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Now, he's going to lay out for us the way that we ought to think. When he tells us, he said, listen, consider others more important than yourselves. See, the key to joy is to not be focused on yourself. See, we talked about that last week. Your your circumstances aren't always just for you. The things you go through aren't, aren't even about you. The things that you go through in this life, God wants to use those things to be a source of encouragement for somebody else. And so we've got to understand this. We've got to, we've got to focus on what Paul is saying there. He said, consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look out for, not for his own interests, but for the interests of others. And then he goes on to say, this is the mind of Christ. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be a good Christian and be a good follower of Jesus, here you go. Stop thinking about yourself all the time. If you want to be a, a, a real follower of Jesus, consider the interests of others before you consider your own interests. Y'all quiet, so let me help you. Listen, you, listen, y'all, y'all been in relationships and stuff like that. Like y'all, y'all done been with people and dating, all that kind of stuff like that. And the biggest issue comes up in the relationship is when that person only thinks about themselves. And so when people are just thinking about themselves, it makes you feel like you are unimportant. When people only think about them, when, when, they, when they don't think about how things will affect you, when they don't think about how them staying out till four in the morning and when you're married, like, will affect you and the kids that's in the house and you just out doing your thing, not thinking about nobody else, like, that leads people to feel as if they are unimportant. And if we're going to walk right this, we're going to follow the example of joy, then Jesus teaches us this lesson that we must consider the interests of others over the interests of ourselves. Y'all following me? So look, Paul goes on and continues to urge us. He says here that we should not allow selfish ambition to motivate us. He says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. He's he's continuing to urge us to live as citizens of heaven who complete the joy of other believers by having the same mind that Jesus Christ had, which was to consider the interests of others over the interests of themselves. And so what he's saying here, this this word for selfish ambition is a political Greek word that was used by Aristotle a whole bunch of times, but it means to pursue political power. It means to pursue political office, watch this, by unfair or unjust means. So when Paul is writing about selfish ambition, what he's saying to us is that we have to ensure that the way that we live our lives and the way that we do things is fair and it is just and it considers other people, not just ourselves. So here's what Paul is saying as well, because that word can also mean to seek new followers. Now, y'all know this part. Because some of us, all we do is seek to win new followers. Like, 
We want as many people following us on socials. <laughs> like we want so many people to be on our page and watching us eat sandwiches during the day. Like we, we want people to watch us do mundane, ordinary things that are all about us. And we never stop to consider how we can serve other people instead of being self-serving and seeking to have as many people follow us as possible. See, this is where we, we get into this stuff because we miss out on joy when we continuously go out politicking to win new followers. See, what happens for us is this, is that our Instagram and our Snapchat are popping, uh, but we're, we're, the, the dirty secret is this, is that we're, we're pursuing selfish ambition. We're pursuing selfish ambition, and every like on social media, here's what it does. It robs you of joy. See, you, 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 you get likes, and you start thinking, like, oh, man, yeah, like, man, pfft. Hey, bro, 57 people like my post today, man. Like, I don't know if you know or not, but like, like 57 people, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm out here. (laughs) But what really happens is every double tap zaps away your joy because you secretly wonder why you didn't have more. See, we're constantly... Wondering why we didn't have more of the thing that we think we should have. Why didn't we get more followers from that post? I was killing it. They didn't hear my song? Like, I was doing the thing. Like, they didn't see what I was doing out there? I was giving away food to homeless people. I took off my shoes and had somebody videotape it and watch me give them away to the guy. Because we were doing it for likes. We weren't really doing it to consider the interests of somebody else. And so what happens is if, if you don't have joy, you're not going to find it by continuing to seek out more followers. Like that's not the ticket to finding joy. Paul says, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Paul tells us that conceit is empty pride. Now, listen, my my son had his last football game on Friday, and it was amazing. It was a great game. He scored the, the last touchdown of the, of the game on a fumble recovery. That means that the, the guy who was on offense, he dropped the ball. I need to help you all that don't understand football. He dropped the ball, right, at a time where he wasn't supposed to drop the ball. And so my son, when he dropped the ball, my son picked the ball up because he was on defense, and he ran it in for a touchdown about 60 yards right it was great you can check out the video on my instagram because you know what i'm saying i'm trying to get some likes on that joint <laughs> so look he ran about 60 yards now when he did that i was running down the sideline myself like i knocked somebody over i didn't even know who they were i didn't ask them for their name or kind of take them out to dinner afterwards like i just knocked them over and so I'm running down the field alongside of him, and the guy was like, man, you ran just as fast as your son. And I was like, I was hype, like I was in it. I had a sense of pride in my son, right? That was a proud dad moment for me. And so that pride, though, had substance to it. My son, on the last play of his last game of his senior year in high school, accomplished something that he hadn't done before. So it was something substantive to it. What Paul is arguing against here, when he talks about conceit, he's saying that your pride in yourself has no substance. See, he's saying that the thing that you, that you hold up and the thing that you, that you in, in, in essence worship, the thing that you give all of your time and all of your effort to, the thing that you give all of your energy to, at the end of the day, it lacks substance in relationship to pursuing life with other believers and walking in community and living a kind of life that considers yourself less than others. So Paul is saying, listen, stop, stop. Following app, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. 
He tells us that it's based on emptiness. He calls us to put down empty pride, and, and this is an old, old phrase, vain glorying, like glory belongs to God. <laughs> vain glorying is when it's like looking in the mirror and saying, boy, I did a good job with you. No, you didn't. Your mom and daddy got together and God did something special. Amen. Like, and he created and formed you for uh, uh, Psalm 139 says that he, he created the innermost parts of you. He formed every piece of you, like all the stuff that you look at and that you gaze at the, the thing that you would look at yourself and give glory to yourself for. God is like, that's me. I did that. So Paul is saying, he said, listen, don't seek after glory on a groundless basis. We, we don't have any real grounds for seeking glory at all. Because you bag of dirt. I'm not trying to insult you, but the Bible tells us God formed us out of the dust. And I want you to understand that the reality is that the God of the universe created you out of dirt. Like, that ought to blow your mind. Like all the intricacies of your systems and all the intricacies of, of, of your body and all the different parts of your body that operate and function without you even having to consider them operating and functioning. Like when you look at your ear and how complex your ear is and how sound enters into your ear and even considering your eye and how you see things out of your eye. Like God created all of that and did all of that unique, complex stuff out of some dust. And so we don't have any grounds for glory in. I know some of y'all are like, man, but I might be dust, but I was some grade A fertile soil. <laughs> That's me. Like, I was some good. No, joking. But when we realize that the reality of our sin, this is what, this is what really gets us. When, when we really recognize the reality of our sin, we have to know that glorying in ourselves is based on nothing. Like, we, we are just some broken down, wretched sinners. Paul says it in Romans, he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So when we when we actually consider who we are without Jesus, that will put us in a different posture and a different position as we look towards living in life with one another and the pursuit of being full of joy. And so, listen, when, when you know, when you, when you know the way to present yourself before God, you, you, you begin to shift the focus on how you respond to circumstances and difficulty in your life. Here's what we do. God, why is this happening to me? God, why are you doing this to me? I've been good. I've been praying. I've been reading my daily Bible verse. Like, God, I've been doing all this stuff. Why are you letting this happen to me? But when we when we really grasp the reality of who we are and our sinfulness, right, we understand that whatever comes into our life, God's grace in our life is always sufficient and it will bring us through whatever it is that we find ourselves in. And so guess what? Because of his grace, we can have joy. So listen, you. We, we be on Snapchat and all that stuff like that trying to get people to see us the way we want them to see us. We try to get people to see us how we think they should see us. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You spend 40 minutes putting a filter on your page, like on your picture. Took a picture. It was a nice picture. But you got to put all these little hearts floating around your head. Like, you got to put all this stuff. Dudes be wearing the beard thing now. Like, just get you some beard oil, bro. Like, you'll be all right. <laughs> so, the, the, listen, the young boys be posting posting pictures with them holding money like this. Talking about money team and all this stuff like that. That's your money you got out of your mom's purse. Like, put her money back. Like, stop playing around. <laughs> Even worse, you took it out of the register at work. You'll try to go in the bathroom and flash real quick. The girl you keep posting as your girlfriend, talking about some relationship goals, is really just an Instagram model that you follow. That car you keep standing next to, Bentley outside your job, it's not yours. 
but you keep taking pictures next to it. Talking about some cargoes. <laughs> like, that's not your car. So here's what he tells them. He says, listen, I want you to consider. He says, everyone must consider in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. So instead of trying to boost yourself up, Paul says that your esteem to esteem others more highly than yourself. And so people who are joyful have no problem giving respect where respect is due. See, the problem comes in is that we, we get robbed of joys because we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. We're constantly comparing ourselves to what other people have accomplished. And what Jesus is letting us know, he says, stop comparing yourself to other people and actually celebrate in humility what somebody else has accomplished. And in your celebration of what they have accomplished, you'll find contentment in what God is doing currently in your life. See, we all have our own little niche, our own little platform. And when we compare ourselves to other people, we end up doing two things. Here's the first thing we do. We rob the other person of the dignity and personhood of their accomplishments. Like we rob people of dignity when we compare ourselves to them. The second thing that we do is this. We condemn God as an unfaithful father to us. As if the gift that he has given to us in that season is not enough. And God is saying, the thing that I've placed in your hand in this season of your life is the exact thing that you need. And if you stop looking at what I'm doing in the life of other people, then you can actually have some joy. So we we judge God like he's unfaithful to us somehow. Like he's somehow doing something wrong against us. When our brother is succeeding, like we be low key hating on people and we treat God as if he unfairly gives out gifts and favor. But God gives you exactly what you can handle at that moment. See, the thing that you have is exactly what you can handle. And we spend so much time. God, give me more. God, give me more. And God is saying, you haven't even done anything with what you currently have. But you're saying, God, give me some more money. God, I need more money. You haven't even properly handled the amount of money that you have right now. Because you didn't go to Financial Peace University and get your situation together. Come on. We have another opportunity next semester. It's over now. But like we are, we are properly dealing with what we currently have. And we whine and complain to God like, God, give me more. And God's saying, I did. And you didn't do nothing with it. So we got to properly deal with what God has already placed in our hands. So he tells us, he says, consider more, others more important than yourself. Joy lets us see others as more important than ourselves because we know that our God is a good father and he's not a respecter of persons. So here's, here's what you do when you really have a good relationship with God. When you see God doing something for somebody else in their life, you, you get excited. When you see God blessing somebody else, right? You get excited because you know, he's not a respecter of person. And if he's treating them like that, guess what? He's going to treat you like, because he's not a respecter of persons. So the better he treats you, guess what? The better he's going to treat me. And I'm good because I know that God is working out all things according to his good purposes in my life. And and, and I line right up with his good purposes when I'm in Jesus. And so he's got a plan for my life. We told you that in last series when we talked about how uh, in Jeremiah, he said, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you. Right. And so God has a good plan for your life. And so he tells them, he says, consider yourselves more, don't, you know, consider others more important than yourselves and seek the interest of others over the interest of yourself. That's the mind of Christ. And so here's Christ's example. Verse six, he says, existing in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. By assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even to death on the cross. And it says, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. See, what we forget and what we miss is this, is that in, in, his, in Christ's emptying of himself, Paul tells us to adopt the same mind, right? But instead of politicking, instead of, 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 of taking the same mind of Christ, we go about politicking for followers and vainglory. But Christ emptied himself of that stuff. In other words, he made himself of no reputation, even though he was God himself. And so Jesus would neutralize his power in order to make himself a servant. And so what we have to do if we're going to truly have joy is that we have to put ourselves in the posture and position of a servant. I know it's going to be quiet right here because we don't like to talk about this. See, service is directly connected to your ability to have joy. See, when you are serving God, and we believe here that you serve God by serving others, the way that you enter into that is that you have to consider service as not just an obligation. See, the difference is, is the world will see service and they'll try to do all types of good things and all the stuff like that, doing good works for people and all the stuff like that. But it's out of an obligation. See, serving in the kingdom of God is not out of obligation, but it's out of a sense that you get to do something that connects somebody else to the eternal God of heaven in the way that you serve them. They get a picture of Jesus through your service. And so we've got to stop considering what we do and saying, oh, I got to show up serve on serving church today because it's my weekend. I got to show up for church and, and, and go and, and greet people because I'm, I'm scheduled for that today. Like, no, we, we need to serve out of what we have been served. And Jesus served up his whole life so that we might have life. And so when we consider this, he's saying, take on the form of a servant here. Jesus gave himself over to the will of God the Father, and he made himself a servant on the cross. What are you willing to do in the interest of others? What are you willing to give up so that you might serve others? What are you willing to surrender so that you can be in the service of God? See, everything else takes precedent. Everything. Our schools, our jobs, all of that stuff takes precedence over that. But God is saying, listen, Christ took on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself. So the next time Paul tells us that Christ humbled himself, he tells us that he humbled himself by becoming a man. And here's the example that you have to follow if you if you're going to have joy. You got to humble yourself. You, you, You have to humble yourself when you make yourself low. That's the gateway to joy. See, when when you make yourself uh, of no consequence. And I'm not talking about like self-debasing and like like belittling yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you can walk into a situation and think, how can I serve to make this situation better? When you walk into a situation and you say, how, how can I how can I lead in such a way that other people get a glimpse of Jesus and I make myself of no consequence? Like that's when you can walk in joy. And see, joy is connected to your ability to humble yourself. When you're not always thinking about how you can get up and how you can make one over, like when, when you're not always thinking about how you can get on and get put on, right? When, when you're considering, like, how can I make myself low here? God will exalt you. He says in, 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 in him humbling himself, Christ, God exalted him. And so in exalting him, he gave him a name that is above every name. And see, Jesus wasn't just given a name, but he was given the name. See, everywhere you turn, you can hear the name of Jesus. Turn on CNN, you hear him talking about 
Christianity. And when you turn on MSNBC, you hear them talking about different stuff. You turn on the radio, they're talking about Jesus is king because Kanye put out an album and all this stuff like that. But, like, you, you constantly hear people talking about Jesus. Either they love the name of Jesus or they hate the name of Jesus. And, 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 and as we consider that his, he was given a name that was above every name, we have to understand that in order for us to have joy, we've got to be able to call on his name. See, I love how Kurt Franklin and Rance Allen sing. He'd be doing all the, yeah, y'all, don't know, y'all don't know that, never mind. <laughs> Jaquan, everybody, he'll be here all week. <laughs> They're saying there's something about the name Jesus. Something about the name Jesus. It is the sweetest name I know. Oh, how I love the name Jesus. And he goes on to sing, maybe, maybe a new school. Y'all know this one, the, the Hillsong. It says, what a beautiful name. It goes, what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. That name of Jesus. But I, I like the old school and Nesby. One, where she calls on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. She says, Master, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after the rain. And so we've got to walk in understanding this and know that the reason for our joy is that Jesus came down from heaven one day and rendered himself of all his glory and said, I'm not going to seek after my own glory, but I'm going to seek the glory of the Father so that these folks might have a relationship with the Father again. And if you're in here in Jesus Christ, then you can have joy because of Jesus. See, I, I want us to see this, that if we think that's too lofty a goal, you'll be like, well, Pastor Dan, you're talking about Jesus, and he was Jesus, right? Like, yeah, I know. I know he was Jesus. But Paul gives us some other examples here. He gives us the example of himself. Verse 12, he says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Here's what he says. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Now, Paul tells us to put forth effort and work out our salvation towards joy. And Paul wants us to accomplish, he wants us to accomplish our salvation with fear and trembling because salvation has already been accomplished for us. And in us continuing to pursue after sanctification, that's what, what Paul is talking about is, is sanctification is that that just means for us to look more like Jesus. When he's calling for us to pursue that, he's saying that the reason that you're able to pursue that is because Jesus has already accomplished that for you on the cross. And so here's how it has been accomplished. God is the one who is putting forth the energy and the effort and the power in order for you to work out his good purposes. See, I know you think that you're doing it on your own, but God is saying you wouldn't be able to do it if I wasn't giving you the power to be able to do it. You couldn't take one breath without him. You you, you couldn't think one thought without him. And so he's telling us that God is the one who is working in us according to his good power. And so he tells us because of that, as as a result of that, he says, stop grumbling and complaining. See, Paul is telling us to do everything without murmuring. In other words, he's saying, don't live your life with a secret displeasure about your life. See, joy stems from being pleased with the life you have versus the life that you want. See, we we spend so much time complaining about the life that we have that we don't consider that the life that God has given to us is the life that he wants us to have. 
You're constantly bemoaning your life because you never have joy. And joy stems from being pleased with the life that you have. So, listen, we spend so much time complaining about the job we have. And God is saying, you pray for this job. You asked me for this job. And now I gave it to you. Now you're complaining. <laughs> Back on indeed. Like you, like you, God gave you that job that, you, that you're now complaining about. We prayed and prayed for kids. God blessed me with some children. Them children start acting crazy. And you start complaining. God gave me these bad kids. Spare the rock, spoil the child. Amen. Listen. <laughs> Let me say it with my chest. You spare the rod, you spoil the child. Amen. Listen. But, and, and that's the shepherd's rod. That's not like you beating them because you're angry. We got to stop doing that, beating our kids because we're angry. Like, this is shepherd's rod. A sh- and a shepherd never strikes the sheep. He just guides them. Says, oh, listen, you're acting up. I need you to straighten out. Get back in line. But we, we prayed and asked God for the husband that we have. And now we got him. Oh, y'all thought I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> and now you got him. And because he didn't take the trash out last night, now you want a new husband. Now you want God to fix him, Jesus. Fix him. Well, God is like, maybe you need to fix your expectations. Maybe you need to fix your perception of how things are. Maybe you need to reconsider that this, this, this thing that you prayed for, this thing that you asked me for, maybe I wanted to use it to sanctify you. Maybe the thing that you're complaining about is maybe it's something, it's a source of sanctification for you that's going to bring you to a place of renewal and, 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 and bring you to a place of joy that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't gotten to the situation. So God is saying, listen, he says, stop grumbling and complaining. Stop having a secret displeasure about your life. Stop arguing. He says, says, do everything without complaining and arguing. This is good. Arguing here. The, I'm trying to help, try to explain it. The, the Greek word, it, it suggests to think or to, it's to deliberate with yourself. It's an inward reasoning. So Paul is suggesting that in order for us to have joy, then we have to stop deliberating with ourselves. See, the most damaging thing to your joy is that you take counsel with yourself. See, so many of us are taking counsel with ourselves. Like, I I sit with people sometimes and they be telling me stuff. And they're like, Pastor Derek, I don't know what's going on. And they, they, come, they give me this idea, this crazy idea. I'm like, where did you get that from? Well, I just kind of, I just kind of thought about it. Well, who did you talk to about this? I, I didn't talk to nobody. Like, boy, <laughs> boy, <laughs> like that. That sounds crazy. Like you didn't take counsel with anybody. The most dangerous place in your world to be is to be inside your head. We got to get out of our heads. Stop deliberating with ourselves. You are your worst counselor. You're your worst counselor. And our joy is stifled when we reason with ourselves. See, we say God isn't with me because my business isn't growing. Can you cut it out like your business isn't growing because you don't have the right type of systems in place in order to foster the type of growth that you actually need? See, God doesn't care about me because I don't have a job yet. 
No, maybe you don't have a job yet. It's because you got spelling errors in your resume. And you didn't take the time to stop and look it over and say, hey, somebody, can somebody who knows what they're doing resumes, can you help me out so that I can present a better resume that's more proficient? You, you, you said we're going through the stuff that we're going with because God's not there. Like, God's not there. Like, when did he stop being there? Like, when? When did that stop? When did he stop? He's, he's ever present. Like, he's always there. Like, he's never stopped being there for you. And the majority of the time, God does his best work in the dark. Don't believe me? Look at the book of Genesis, where it says that he, over, over, the, over, the, over the dark, he started to call out stuff. And he started to speak things into existence. So when it seems like God is went dark in your life, then you ought to get happy to know that, that God is working in your life at that moment, even though it seems like he's gone dark. And so you got to, we've got to stop doing this stuff, like reasoning in our minds, like crazy stuff. And he tells them the whole firm, tells them the whole firm to the word. And so Paul tells us that we got to stop giving attention to these thoughts and hold firm to the word of God. So he says this because you shine bright like stars in the world. Your joy in the midst of your suffering is a bright shining star to the world. Your joy in the midst of challenge and difficulty is a bright shining star to the world. So Paul is telling us that we ought to be marked by holding firm to the word of life versus holding firm to the word of lies. Like we we hold firm to lies more quickly than we will hold firm to life. We'll believe the things that the enemy says about us. Tells you you're not good enough. Tell you you're not smart enough. Tell you that you don't think quickly enough, like you're not pretty enough, like all that crazy stuff. Like, we got to hold firm to the word of life. Tell us that we're, we shine like stars. And so, I'm, I'm out of time. But he, he gives us another example. He t- talks about Timothy, and then he goes on to talk about Epaphroditus and, and all those things. He talks about Timothy's proven character. Uh, and and what, what happens is Paul says that we have... Paul had what was known as proven character, and we've got to know that the, the word for joy is the word chara. And, and when, I, when I went to type that into my notes, you know autocorrect. We all know him. He's a faithful friend. <laughs> Have you sent in bad messages to people? And so when I went to type it in, autocorrect corrected the word chara, which is the word Greek word for joy, it auto-corrected it to character. And so what Paul is saying is that your joy is directly connected to your character. And so what I want to submit is this, is that if you will walk in joy, it will prove the good character that God wants you to have. See, the people who walk around without any joy, oftentimes they're not good people to be around. They're miserable. Can't get a word in with them. They just, just miserable. What goes with this story? It says, one day there was a lady who was crossing a certain station in London, a train station, when an old man stopped her. And he said, Excuse me, ma'am, but I want to thank you for something. And she looked at him, she said, Thank me. What What do you mean? He told her, he said, I used to be a ticket collector at the station. And whenever you used to go by, you used to always give a cheerful smile and say good morning. Tell somebody good morning. He says, and you don't know what difference that made to me. He said, whether it was wet or dry outside, you were always happy. And he says, I started to think to myself, why is she always so happy? 
Where did she get that smile from? He says, then one morning you came by and you had a Bible in your hand. And I said to myself, perhaps that's where she gets her smile from. He says, so that night I went home and I bought a Bible. And over the next couple of days, I read it from front to back. He says, and ever since I've been reading it every day and I found Christ and now I have the same smile. Now I have the same joy and I want to thank you because of your joyful character that pointed me to the word of God. It is our joy that points people to Jesus. I guarantee you, you'll never want anybody to Christ without having a joyful disposition. They'll think, what for? If I could be miserable like you. And some of us are going to have to repent for the people who were turned away from Jesus because of the lack of joy in our hearts. We walk around the store because the cash register didn't treat us with the respect that we wanted the last time we came to the store. Now we walk around the store trying to prove something. And there was somebody in there who was on their worst day and just needed somebody to smile at them. Needed somebody to have some joy so that they could see that there was a reason to go on. Some of us are going to have to do some repenting about our disposition. We do. We have to surrender that over to Jesus and say, God, please make me a person who chooses joy. That's one of our values here is that we choose joy. Regardless of circumstances, we choose joy. So my prayer is that we would be like this woman, that we would follow the example of joy. And remember and know that it is God who's at work in us. And because he's at work in us, circumstances don't matter. Difficulty doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is our relationship with him. And if we're in right relationship with him, we can always have joy. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love, God. You show yourself faithful to us, God, each and every morning. Scripture tells us that your mercies are new each and every day. And so, Father, I pray this morning that those under the sound of my voice, God, who don't know you, that they might come to know you today. Lord, I pray for those under the sound of my voice, God, who are struggling with doubt, who are struggling with frustration and fear and not having joy God would you point them to the source of joy which is Jesus Christ and so Lord be glorified today be lifted up we'll forever give you praise honor and glory because they belong to you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray with thanksgiving in our hearts knowing that you will do everything that you said you would in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.